The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. Thanks so much for tuning in with us today. There are wonderful, wonderful things happening right now in the world of Main Street Vegan. We've got a blog post that just went up today over at MainStreetVegan.net called Holiday Survival Tips. Those come from Michael Suchman, who's a graduate of Main Street Vegan Academy. He is half of the blogging pair VeganMoes.com. So if you need some tips for surviving this very busy time of year, check out what Michael has to say on the blog this week. Some other things that have been going on here and about. Uh, tonight, a big party at the Peter Max studio to celebrate that the mayor of New York City is following through on his promise to do everything that he can to get the carriage horses off the city streets of New York and hopefully replace those with some interesting antique cars in Central Park. So we are going to be Honoring somebody for keeping a promise tonight. That's pretty cool. Last night, another party here for Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. That's Dr. Neil Barnard's group in Washington, D.C. They have a co-conviction to get people to eat foods from the plant kingdom and get way, way healthy, and also to get the animals out of the laboratories, particularly in medical schools. So they have been doing that for almost 30 years. So congrats to PCRM. And I'm going to let you know something that I did this week that didn't have to do with being vegan, but I think you might find it incredibly fun. A writing colleague of mine, Catherine Michon from L.A., has done a feature film, and it's called Muffin Top, A Love Story. If you are a woman who has ever looked at your body and wanted somebody else's, you will love this movie. It is as funny as can be. They're doing a limited release in theaters, and you can also find it online. So do take a look at Muffin Top. I went with a friend, and we just laughed and laughed. Everybody did. It was just Superb. So we're kind of in movie mode today because after the first break, we're going to be bringing on Keegan Kuhn and Kip Anderson of Cowspiracy. Wonderful, wonderful documentary. But right now, I have on a woman who is beautiful inside and out, smart, delightful, and has really got her act together. 
concerning what we all need to be eating, and that is Juliana Hever. She's known as the plant-based dietitian, and you can, in fact, find her online at theplantbaseddietitian.com. She counsels clients worldwide on eating healthfully, and she has her very own TV show, on Z Living, and that's called What Would Juliana Do? Well, we're going to find out what Juliana would do right now because we're going to be talking with the author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition and her brand new, absolutely glorious book, which is just shipping right this minute, and it's called The Vegetarian Diet. Welcome, Juliana. Thank you, Victoria. It's just so much fun to have you here. It just almost feels like you are across the table from me. So I know. Thank you. You're so welcome. What's the premise of the new book? I'm so excited about this book. This has been my passion project for the last year and a half, which I know you understand well. Uh, this is co- okay. So it's a mashup of the the wonderful research that we found on the Mediterranean diet over the last several decades, and its implications in the vegan world. So basically, my premise is that the Mediterranean diet is so successful because it is indeed a plant based diet, and then. I also argue that the, the, it needs to be a whole food plant-based diet for health reasons, for other reasons like what, what our diet does to the planet and for animals and psychology. So it kind of puts all of that together, all of the science and history of how I've gotten to all of these conclusions. And then it also has a meal plan and, you know, 66 recipes that are all Mediterranean deliciousness. And uh, so it's kind of just a fun play with the Mediterranean. I love it. I love it. So what makes the Mediterranean diet, it's really seen as the gold standard in in the research. Yeah, I mean, it's been really interesting because it all started with some great epidemiological trials in the 1950s and 60s that showed that people that eat this way, this whole food plant-based stuff and, you know, just this wonderful med-style foods were really healthy. And it was really all these big studies that led to some more specific studies, and the research just keeps coming out. So, you know, decreased risk of heart disease, decreased risk of death from heart disease, decreased risk of there's something that recently came out about um, increased longevity in certain populations. So the more they study it, the more information comes out that it's so powerful and it's very beneficial. So describe a standard Mediterranean diet because that's, I mean, the Mediterranean, that's a fairly good-sized ocean. (laughs) You know, you've got Italy and, and, and Greece and some of the Grecian islands where I think they ate a little bit different. So let us know just what the standard one is so we know how to make it the Mediterranean diet later. Yeah, it's a good question, and actually there's like several countries that border the Mediterranean, and so you can go anywhere with it, but it's really just kind of like, you know, in fact, I've got, it's funny, because I have the Mediterranean, I'm trying to find it in the book right now, I have the the the, Medi- the Mediterranean diet pyramid, and then I mashed it with my plant-based pyramid, and now I have the vegetarian pyramid, so it's very similar, but really they ate very, very little meat and animal products. That was at kind of the top of it. Even the fish, it's not a lot of fish. But they eat grains and rice and bulgur and couscous and they eat they ate um, a lot of vegetables and plants. Like they lived off the land a lot because they have really good temperate climate and they can grow stuff really well because they have plenty of rain and stuff throughout the year. But yeah, the the style of cooking can range from you know Egyptian to Italian to Greek. And of course, so my bias in the book, and you'll see, I kind of admit it right up the, at the get go, is all about Italy because I am like a Italian. And like fiend, like I love everything Italian. So, you know, in the book, I've got a lot of Italian words and Italian kind of just plays, but it's, you know, that's just one of the countries. So I use it as a representation. So my my recipes include Italian, but a lot of, you know, Egyptian and um, traditional Greek recipes like dolmas and, you know, all sorts of different countries. So I try to kind of get a little bit of flavor from all of those different delicious countries. Aha. Uh-huh. And so when you take a Mediterranean diet and make it vegetarian, what do you do to it? You take out the animals. You take out all the animals. And, and what I do, too, I did this huge thing because one of the big myths 
about the Mediterranean diet is that it's so successful because of all the olive oil and the red wine and the fish. And I debunk all of those. And I think the biggest challenge was to debunk the olive oil one. So I go to great lengths to define why I decided to take the olive oil out. All of my recipes are oil-free. But I, I talk about the why we think it might be because of the olive oil and why it really may not, that, that the Mediterranean diet is probably successful in spite of the olive oil, not because of it. So I go into elaborate detail on the fat thing in there, but it's, it really is because it's a whole food plant-based diet that makes it so successful. And you get kind of personal in this book. How's that? Yes, you know, my two first books were Idiot's Guides, Complete Idiot's Guides, and so they're very technical and scientific, and here are all the facts, period. So this was my first opportunity in a book format to share my stories, and it felt really good and cathartic and exciting, and that's why I feel like it's such a passion project, but I opened up about why I'm vegan, my path to veganism, I talk about, you know, my love of animals, and I get to introduce people that I care so much about that are heroes of mine, like Jean Bauer, who started Farm Sanctuary, and Melanie Joy, who... Um, created a whole philosophy called carnism about why the psychology of eating meat and Dr. Richard Openlander who talks about the environmental implications and all of these things are so important to me so I get to kind of tell a lot not just the nutrition and the science because that's all in there too but really like what why and I talk about all my love of Italian and it was just it was so fun to like actually connect deeply to a book like this oh I'm sure it was I think sometimes mine are almost like my journals, but for public consumption. <laughs> so it's uh, it's pretty wonderful to write from your heart. I love how you think. I mean, you're a, a dietitian, master's degree, all that stuff. You've got the science, and yet your heart is there for the animals. And I have been running into a lot of people, both in person and listening to podcasts and other places, who are saying things like, well, I was vegan for a while, but you know, my life is really stressful. And then when I got under stress, I just really needed to add back in some animal foods and I feel a lot better. What do you say to people like that? Because I'm trying really hard to be polite and I'm worried that one day I might not be. Victoria, it's a very important, a very important question, and I've studied this a lot, and my goal is to help people that feel that they need animal products or they need to go back to it. I want to help them not have to, to go back because, you know, why go backwards when we, we should be going forwards and finding solutions, and I don't find going back to me a solution. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways around that. Like, I think I just, I mean, that's what I do in my day job is I see clients and I help strategize on ways to make it more accessible for people because, you know, not everyone is as lucky as us that gets to live in Los Angeles or New York City where we have a lot of those foods available. It's just a lot easier. Um, but so I think that strategizing ways to do so and, and, and if you really don't feel well by eating a vegan diet, there's always a reason. So what are you eating? So when people say, oh, no, I eat healthy. Well, that's why, that's why I do like food journals and I do an analysis and I want to see exactly what they're eating because there really is usually maybe something missing. You know, maybe they're not taking their B12. Maybe there's always a reason. And I think that if you really care and you have that passion for the animals and the environment, then it's worth looking into a little deeper. And it's something I'm actually going to be working on on writing about because I think this is such an important topic and there's a lot of science behind it as well. Oh, that's great because I think lay people out there lots of times just feel that there's some kind of magical something uh, about animal food, that it's not just amino acids and saturated fat and whatever else is in it, that there's some sort of woo kind of quality because well, you know, I know, and I talk about that in the book, too, that it's it's really you have to think about the packaging of the entire food. And I've talked to Dr. Campbell about this, and I and introduced that, this topic in great detail in the book, too, because, you know, if you're getting a piece of meat, yes, you could have some protein and iron, but you're also getting all those other things, like you said, the saturated fat and the cholesterol and the IGF-1 and the heme iron that are we know that are damaging to the health. And then on the flip side, if you get that same protein and iron in a plant product, you get it accompanied with those phytochemicals and antioxidants and vitamins and minerals and fiber that are crucial for optimal health. So health-wise, it really doesn't make sense. But on the other side, I think there's a lot of social issues and I think there's a lot of, you know, cravings and addiction connected to those, those foods and it's a very personal thing. And I don't know if you, did you see that study that came out from the Humane, Humane uh, Research Council this last week? I did. That's yeah, and it, and it shows that the social the social is probably the biggest reason that people go back because it's challenging to be in social 
environments where you're the only one. And I mean, me and you have been doing this for a while. You've been doing this longer than me, but you get used to it, you know, and people get used to having you around. But when you're new to it, I think people are intimidated and it's easy to get sucked back into the, well, where are you going to get your iron and, you know, and all that stuff that people have to deal with. So I think the support system is the most important thing. Like having a lot of knowledge and facts and education and learning as much as you can, soaking in as much information, but also having people that you know are on the same page as you so that you could just relate to someone and talk to people and have groups that you can, you know, be with and associate with so you have a constant source of support. Oh, I agree with you 100% because it seems that the psychological discontent of being different and not having support translates into people just feeling a little bit off physically. Possibly, yeah. Social social is huge. I mean, it's huge for health and stress management. And, and yeah, and I mean, you know, it takes a certain pe- person to want to be a little different. Like some people are really afraid and they want to, you know, be stay in with the crowd. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But, you know, it's a lot of people like us that are like, oh, I don't care what anyone thinks. You know, we're just going to do our thing. But it's a little easier for us. So I think exactly. that that's why if you surround yourself with people that are the same and find those people, they're all, they're all over the place. They have meetup groups and online, you know, Facebook has tons of groups where you can kind of connect with like-minded people and then you don't feel so alone out there because we're all going to the same thing in our different worlds and it helps to have that connection. So true. So what needs to happen is the vegetarian diet needs to be a wildly successful bestseller and that will increase the social networks of people who are eating vegan and then people will have more support and everything will work out. I, like I love that. the way you think. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Cheers to well, that. Thank you. The book is The Vegetarian Diet. It's by Juliana Hever, theplantbaseddietitian.com. Great success with the book, Juliana, and thanks for writing it, especially for the Italians and half Italians like me. We've always liked our food, and now we can do it super healthy. That's right. I did it for you. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria. Thank you. Everybody, stay with us, because after this break, we're going to be talking Cowspiracy. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet? And be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter 
or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody. I am so happy to be introducing these guests. These are the first guests I've ever had whose movie I've seen three times. I would almost have to reincarnate Clark Gable because I don't see most movies three times. But this one is is incredible. Cowspiracy. The Sustainability Secret is a groundbreaking feature-length environmental documentary following intrepid filmmaker Kip Anderson as he uncovers the most destructive industry facing the planet today and investigates why the world's leading environmental organizations are too afraid to talk about it. Kip Anderson and Keegan Kuhn are the co-directors and co-producers of Cowspiracy. They're both with us today. Welcome, Kip and Keegan. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to have you. I am such a fan of, of this film. How do you guys know each other? How did you come together to do this? Well, it was really good timing. It was really meant to be. Um, Keegan was just finished filming, just finished wrapping up his last film he did before. It's his first film um, about a chicken rescue called Turlock. And I heard about him, and he just lives right around, very close to me on the other side of the bridge in Berkeley. And I live in San Francisco. And uh, right when we teamed up, when we met, it was just like, just it was, it was an amazing, just knew it was meant to be right from our very first meeting. And we just clicked right away and... Uh, it was really exciting from the get-go. So where did the idea for Cowspiracy come from? Um, I actually had it a few years ago, and it was actually quite a long time. The one little difference, a lot of documentaries, they do recreations of things that happen. I guess the only recreation in the film that wasn't exactly that you see there is whereas I say I was contacting those the, all the environmental organizations for, I, I think I said months. It was in reality, it was many years. Um, when I found out about the destruction animal agriculture was causing on the environment, I supported Sierra Club in particular and these other organizations, and I kept calling and emailing them to no avail. And um, so eventually... <clears throat> Eventually, I said, you know, the film has to be done on this because that might be the only way they'll ever even talk to us. So uh, uh, that's kind of how it started. It, in a way, it started many years ago and kind of outlining and really just waiting for the perfect time. And a big part of that was uh, teaming up with Keegan. So were you guys vegan before you did the film? Um, I have been vegan actually seven years, and when you follow my journey, it was very similar to the journey that you see in the film. The only difference is I never got to speak with everyone in camera, um, like all these amazing people like Dr. Tuttle and Openlander you see on YouTube and you know all these incredible doctors and everything. And so it was really great to recreate my journey that happened on film for everyone else to see my process of what I went through. And Keegan's been vegan for a long time. Yeah, I've been I've been vegan for 17 years. Um, and, and some people have actually tried to use that as if, almost to discredit us that, oh, well, you know, you guys were vegan going into making this. But I think the reality is, is that whether whatever our lifestyles were prior to making the film, if we weren't vegan at the at the end of the film, there's going to be something seriously wrong um, because the information is all there. There's really no argument against eating a plant-based diet as being the most sustainable way you can eat. Well, some of the things that you point out there and the way you do it, I mean, I kept thinking, what were my favorite parts? There were just lots. Now, one had to be the so-called sustainable pig and cattle ranch. Hmm. It, it absolutely amazed me <laughs> that... The people who were in this business and obviously very successfully knew so little about the impact of what they were doing. And I think so many of us who, who do eat in this way run into people who say, oh, yeah, I'm with you there. I, I only eat organic meat, et cetera, et cetera. And just the lack of information is astounding. Yeah, you you know, there's been a number of studies that have come out that have actually shown that grass-fed beef uh, is actually more destructive to the environment than conventional factory farm or CAFO-raised beef. Uh, and the reason for that is, you know, it takes vastly more land to raise animals on grass. Um, 
and that you know land that would needs to be clear of all trees and all you know other plants other than the grass species that cows eat. Um, so then the impact against wildlife, you know, particularly wild horses in the you know, American West that are just being rounded up in mass, taken off our public lands to make room for grass-fed cattle you know, operations, uh, or the predator killing of wolves and coyotes uh, throughout the United States because of the perceived threat against the livestock industry. Um, and then, you know, all of the other aspects of water consumption and topsoil erosion and the list literally just goes on and on calorie for calorie it's much more sustainable it's not necessarily more ethical but much more sustainable to raise animals in extreme confinement um, and, you know feeding them conventionally grown grains that is more sustainable uh, for a planet with 7.2 billion people it's obviously not the most ethical though Oh, obviously. But I think that's something that needs to be talked about because it seems that the people who eat this way or claim to eat this way, you know, with only 2 to 3% of the food that's available to people being organically grown, I don't know how all these people can be getting it. <laughs> or not, not organic, and I said that wrong, but the animal products, I have read 2 to 3% are not factory farmed. So out of this 3%, where does it all come from that all of these people who are trying to be doing things right, where do they even find it? But it's it's really important, I think, that to share with these people who really are trying to do things right that they're not. Yeah, you know, it's definitely a, an issue that is glossed over. I mean, even, you know, Chipotle, one of the largest fast food, you know, chains right now in the United States, or one of the most uh, fastest growing chains, is, you know, admits that they can't source all of their, you know, animal products from sustainable or home, hormone-free or organic sources because there's just simply not enough production in the United States. And the truth is, is that, and something that we explore in the film, is that we simply don't have enough land to meet the demand for meat in the United States and other animal products on a organic or, you know, grass fed level. There's just, there's just simply, it takes so much more land and resources to farm animals that way. Um, You do that beautifully in the film for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. And you have to see it. I mean, just please just see it. (laughs) You'll be so glad you did, but, but you do this incredible graphic that for people who maybe don't have a good sense of numbers and, and statistics, nobody could walk away from that film not understanding that we don't have enough land. Yeah. Well, well thank you. It was, it was important for us that to, you know, the numbers and the issues that are in this film are so massive um, that we knew that it was going to be necessary to provide the information in an easily digestible way. And so doing graphs and animations, uh, I think has really helped people understand how monumental this issue is and what the real solutions are. So as much as I felt that the uh, cattle pig ranchers were out of touch, you spoke with an organic dairy farmer who really surprised me on the other end of things, and he actually said, oh, yeah, this isn't sustainable, but, you know, now you can get almond milk and soy milk. So do you think that that there are people, quite a few people, in the grassroots of agriculture who are getting it? I think there are a few. That was obviously, uh, that was actually really surprising to hear, and uh, that's one of Keegan's all-time favorite uh, sections in the whole film, if not the most. Um, I believe overall, not really. I believe, you know, you just turn a blind ear and you believe what you want to believe. And, for example, the grass-fed beef and the pig, that that family, they actually were very knowledgeable, but it was just knowledgeable on what they want to read. So it was knowledgeable on Alan Savory's work, you know, and then really just trying to believe that this intensive grazing thing works and that somehow it is good for the environment. But overall, um, I don't believe you'd very find hardly any comments such as those honest ones by both the CEO of an organic dairy farm who said it's not sustainable and by one of the farmers. I think that was a rare, a rare find, actually. Well, we'll start with one and uh, maybe move on up. But now let's get to the people who ought to know. You know, it would be like 
expecting the tobacco companies to give people the information about smoking when that was a new finding. Nobody would expect that. But we did expect the Cancer Society and the Lung Association to let us know that smoking was bad, and they did that. But in this situation, we've got not just the the ranchers and the farmers and, and the food industry keeping the information from us, but the environmental organizations who are supposed to be protecting the planet. I don't even know where to start with the question. How about a great big one like why? You want yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, that's definitely it's a big question that's explored in the film. You know, why, if animal agriculture is one of the leading causes of climate change, the leading cause of species extinction, topsoil erosion, water pollution, water consumption, deforestation, land degradation, I mean, literally everything you can think of, every environmental ill, animal agriculture is a leader. Why wouldn't the world's largest environmental organizations talk about it? Um, and I think there's a lot of different things at play and issues that we explore in the film. One of them is, is that these organizations are donor-based. They're afraid of upsetting their donors by talking about lifestyle changes, even though they tell their donors to you know, drive less and you know, change light bulbs and, and make lifestyle changes on a daily basis. The, their inability to address diet is, is still a great question to me. Um, I think another aspect of it is, could be fear of repression. You know, in the United States, we have a number of states that have created what are called ag-gag laws, which would make it criminalized. Uh, exposing the atrocities committed against animals in the environment on factory farms, unless you have the written permission of the farmer to film on their property. And these are laws you know, that make it harder for us to have transparency of how animals are raised and how our food is produced. And nobody would want that. You know, everybody wants greater transparency, but these laws have been pushed through uh, you know, by this industry. And then there's federal legislation that actually say uh, anyone who interferes with the business of an animal enterprise is committing an act of terrorism. It's the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act, uh, the most draconian law that you could think of, again, produced by this uh, industry that wants to make it harder for consumers to know how their food is being produced and the impacts against the planet. So it could be that these organizations are afraid of uh, repression from the government and from the industry. Um, and, and another reason, a big one is, too, is that the heads of these organizations, um, almost everyone we interviewed, they eat animal products themselves. So it's like, as it's a great analogy that you use about the Cancer Society and, um, you know, American, say, American Lung Association. Imagine going in for an interview and they're smoking cigarettes. You know, how could they um, tell other people not to smoke if they're doing it? And I feel that's a big one. They have to actually uh, transform internally within the heads of the organizations. And then their main main donors, you know, probably the top 10% who contributes probably around 80% of most of these organizations, the big funders, there's a good chance that, you know, eight, eight out of 10 aren't, if not more, are uh, not vegan as well, so you you just have this very top tier who they haven't even they haven't even adopted uh, you know a true sustainable lifestyle themselves where it's very easy to you know buy your Prius and and uh, you know do these things that they say but to actually make the diet conversion they have not done it so I think it's those those three factors too that Keegan mentioned in that one are definitely the three main driving forces. What about these other things that people are being told to do and what you described that you did as a young environmentalist? So we're taking the shorter showers and we're using the new kind of light bulbs. What does that do compared to somebody going vegan? Well, the thing is, is that, you know, each individual one of these things do, it contributes, you know, and, and that's a big thing when, People watch the film. Some people say, well, it's not just that. You know, there's other things. And, and we never claim in the film, A, to do anything. We're just presenting information. And we totally acknowledge that all these things are important to do everything together. But it's just when this one choice, this one industry, you know, it's not just fossil fuels. It's not just water uh, depletion or water pollution or species extinction. It is every single one of these. So whereas, you know, against fossil fuels or against a dam, sure, that's very important for a certain region in the Amazon rainforest and for, you know, some uh, greenhouse gases and, and such what. But that's one section in one area in one particular thing. Um, and it's very important to su- support anti uh, things of those nature and to support clean energy on and on. But it's like, let's, let's be frank. You have to do first things first. This is, this is the first thing that has to be done before we have any hope or any, you know, basically 
to, to reach some serious results in the near future is first diet change and then do these other things in conjunction with those with that. Right. Now, we're just coming up to break, but I want to ask you quickly about a couple of other people in the film that I really liked. These were the gentlemen in the water department of, I guess it was the state government there in California, and they seemed so well-meaning, but so uncomfortable with answering some of your questions. What was your take on them? Those were a take that we believe they did know more, and that's what I think it's such a powerful first interview, is that you can see in his eyes, he, he, he wants to tell us more, but he just can't. You know, and it's, it was really powerful. And that was just a clip of a long, man, that was our, that was our longest interview. That was around three hours long. And you just see a snippet of that, but he was very friendly and it was very, very tough for him because he felt, it really felt like he wanted to tell us more, but he truly just couldn't. Wow. So do you have the outtakes anywhere? Can people get the unseen footage? Yeah, we look forward to someday when we have time, we're working on some other projects um, to put out uh, the director's cut, which is a whole nother hour. It's probably, I think, around two and a half hours or 220 minutes. And it's the first initial edit where it was really, really tough to get that last 50 minutes because we wanted to make it 90 minutes. And that's going to be an exciting edit, but you, I'm not sure when we'll be able to, to offer that. It won't be for a while, but a lot of those extra interviews that we had to cut out are in there and it's a lot more powerful. Plus we'll be inter, uh, releasing some individual interviews, like for example, Howard Lyman. That was an extremely oh, so powerful. Great. Yeah. I mean, that's most people's favorite interview. We're soon going to release that essentially that whole interview sometime in the near future, maybe a few months from now. We really encourage people to go to our website, cowspiracy.com, to sign up for a newsletter, and they'll be able to find those updates. They can also download the film there via DVD from our website. Fantastic. And on Facebook. And and your Facebook is Cowspiracy? Cowspiracy the Movie. Cowspiracy the Movie. Great movie, too. Get some popcorn. Watch it. We'll be back right after this. Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile? That's right. Your favorite Unity online radio programs are available on your mobile device. Now you can take us with you wherever you go. Using apps from Live 365 or Stitcher, you can listen to Unity online radio live or on demand. To learn more, visit www.unity.fm and click on Mobile Listening. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm talking with Kip Anderson and Keegan Kuhn, the co-directors and co-producers of Cowspiracy, the sustainability secret. If you haven't seen it, see it. If there's somebody on your list who needs to see it, which is pretty much anybody alive and breathing, you can get them the DVD for Christmas. Just go to their website, cowspiracy.com. You can check them out on Facebook. This is a must-see film. And people always say when there's any kind of movie about veganism, is there horrible animal stuff? Almost none. 
I have to say there's there's a tiny bit, but you know, you can blink and and miss it. Would you agree with that? Yes, there's we purposely did it that way. There's hardly any and there's one of course one scene, but you know it's coming and you can easily, you know, like you said, turn your turn close your eyes for one second and it's it. Yeah, and it's necessary. You know, I I think that people who have stopped supporting this industry have earned the right to not look, but those who are still supporting it, you know, look and then if you still want to support it, that's your choice. Yeah. Now, the organization that, at least in the film, would never talk to you was Greenpeace, which I think surprised everybody. Have they talked to you since? What's gone on with them? They have not talked to us, and um, it was more frustrating than you see in the film, and it was frustrating watching that in the film. Um, they, they, you know, they said they would talk to us several times and never did, and since the release of the film... Uh, again, the, this movie really has just begun. You know, we just started selling it online and, it, you know, it hasn't hit Netflix yet when, the, and that's when usually documentaries really become, you know, well known. So I, I believe we'll see a transformation in all these groups because if they don't, they're either part of the old news and companies, just like any company or businesses, they come and go. And there's some exciting new ones coming that is not, is not afraid to tell the truth. And if they don't catch up with, uh, you know, the changing times, Times and and being up front, the true causes, then um, you know Greenpeace may not be around much longer, and some of these organizations that just are irrelevant in today's time. Well, that's how it goes, isn't it? So, which are the environmental groups that that really get it and are trying to do something about this? Um, well, one we have is Center of Bio Bio Center of Biological Diversity. Uh, they're a good one. They're a really good one. Uh, factory farm awareness. They're another really good one. And then you have a couple coming up over these next couple of years that you will see more and more of. One of is James Cameron's Avatar Alliance. He just started that up recently. And in about two years or so, he's really going to, I feel they're really going to come together and be one of the major players because fortunately with someone of his nature and, you know, obviously money, you don't have to worry about a donor base as much. Um, you know, to, to, on defense of Greenpeace Sierra Club, they're, you know, that's how they're in existence is they have to worry about uh, raising money a certain amount to cover all their costs. And, um, so, but, but he's, he's a big champion in the issue of telling the truth and showing the truth. And what's, what are some other ones, Keegan? Um, I, I, I got dropped out of the call for a second. Um, I'm not sure if you talked about, uh, Western the, Watersheds Project. Yeah. Western Watersheds, another one. Um, the Center for Biological Diversity is doing a lot of great work. Um, you know, Sea Shepherds, you know, as a champion, the organist champion, the issue, uh, but yeah, I mean, really, there's there's not that many. You know, AUM Films is is one of the nonprofits yeah. that actually is talking about it. Yeah, that's the film that produced the uh, the movie is my new nonprofit, and I started this actually even before the film was to start. Uh, it's called Animals United Movement. Om as an Om is like as mm-hmm. as in like yoga, and it's to address through media specifically, just because you feel it's the most powerful way to address the truth and to address real true solutions that other environmental groups are failing to address. And so you can uh, find out information on that nonprofit uh, on animalsunitedmovement.org. And if anyone is working on a project, uh, film, short film or anything, we uh, soon will be taking um, some resumes and uh, and, and going to be helping other people out do projects. Wow. Well, have I got a film for you? <laughs> cool. Serious. Uh, I, I don't know if you've been to the MainStreetVegan.net website, but we have been working on actually a family feature film for a few years now called Miss Liberty, which is about a cow who escapes from a slaughterhouse. And what's so cool about it is it's not animated. You can take your kids, but it's not really a kid's movie. Gene Bauer of Farm Sanctuary is our co-executive producer. Uh, Mary Lou Henner has signed on to play the lead human role. And we're going to be going to L.A. in January to talk with some people. So um, if you have any interest in scripted features, uh, (laughs) something you might want to look at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I heard about that actually um, a few months ago. I heard about Ah. that. So definitely uh, keep in touch about that. Might be able to help out some way for sure. Oh, that'd be great. The the wonder of of the vegan grapevine. (laughs) That's good to know. (laughs) Growing every day. So 
in Cowspiracy, there, there was a lot about climate change, a lot about the incredible pollution that comes from these, these big animal confinement systems. But you also talked a lot about oceans. And the idea that in 20 years or so, there aren't going to be any fish in the sea, it, it's just overwhelming. What's going on out there in the water? That was a very, that section was very, very dear to uh, both of us to have in there because it's one thing that even in the vegan community and animal rights, it just doesn't get much uh, attention paid to it. And it's so, and especially even in the environmental conversation, it is so imperative to, to the sustainability of this planet, to car- sequestering carbon that uh, Keegan could, can explain about a little bit more. But um, it's just an incredibly important, important piece that there's no such thing as sustainable fishing. Um, you know, that group Oceana and the claims that they make that we have in the film is just so outrageous to claim with 7 billion people and to, and to kill 100 million tons of fish. Um, it's just outrageous. Yeah, you know, the, the, the importance of a balanced ocean is it is imperative for all climate for all ecosystems all terrestrial ecosystems uh, and yeah right now you know we're taking in excess of 80 million tons of fish out of the ocean every year and the ocean ecosystems never evolved to have this super predator mining the oceans I and mean, that's essentially what we're doing we're not we're not part of the ocean ecosystem. We're not getting back to the ecosystem. We're literally just strip mining the oceans of fish and nutrients uh, and pumping it into you know, terrestrial agriculture and terrestrial humans. And then the, another shocking thing that actually didn't even make it into the film is that pigs in the United States actually consume more fish than human beings do. No. And so, yeah, and you know, and, and cows, dairy cows are actually fed ground up fish as well uh, to increase the omegas in their milk. So, you know, one of the most important things you can do to help the world's oceans is to stop eating pigs and dairy. And that's something that we just didn't fit into the film because of time. But there's so many aspects of it. And then, you know, the impacts of climate change. You know, when they strip mine these areas of the ocean of pelagic fish, fish who feed on plankton. Well, plankton sequesters carbon from the atmosphere, I think it's 10 times greater than salt water. So when you remove the fish who eat the plankton, the plankton blooms. And then it's basically essentially like paving over the ocean. So it heats up. And when you have a warmer ocean, you have a warmer climate. And so the impacts against climate change are massive. And these are things that are just starting to you know, be breached in the scientific world. But you know, we know just from common sense, you can't take and take and take from the oceans and not expect to see them collapse. And that's what we're seeing. Three quarters of the world's fisheries are on the brink of extinction, according to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. And that is because of of overfishing. Wow. So how do you make the connection when you're talking with individuals? So when you talk about ocean trawling and these, these wonderful phrases that you use, strip mining the oceans, that really wakes people up. But somehow making the connection between that, which nobody could agree with, and the piece of salmon on the salad because... I need the protein and the omega-3s, and I like it. How do you bridge the gap? What what do you do in your personal conversations? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's, I think, the challenge that anybody who's who's walking this walk, you know, is going to struggle with is how do you, how do you address that with people? I think what it's important to do is that we're not – we're not talking about ourselves. We're talking about others, and that to not think about ourselves so much, not to be so self – Focus that this is about all life on the planet. It's about all sustainability. This is about you know the the rights of other beings and other ecosystems to exist in the way they naturally should exist. Um, and so when we you know people will say, oh, I don't want to give up dairy, or I yeah, I don't want to give up eating fish. Well, you're not giving up. You're not giving up. You're giving forward. When you stop eating dairy, you stop eating meat, stop eating eggs, you stop eating fish. You're giving forward to those ecosystems that need it. Those all. Um, all the lives that would otherwise be taken, you're giving those lives back. And I think that's what we should focus on is that. And you're also, you're receiving health too. Um, I was just thinking about this. You had a question, a good thing overall in general, I think, you know, as, as Keegan said, walking the path of is what, what 
when you're talking to someone, what do they care about? It's really, rather than a lot of people, I say vegans, they'll, you know, they get the attitude of they're preaching their, their beliefs on someone else. A good thing to do is find out who the person is. Do they care about the environment? Do they care about their health? Well, if you care about health, you definitely don't want to eat dairy. That's almost everybody knows that by now. But, uh, fish, fish is, I mean, the, the, the studies that have come out with the everywhere thing from the radiation to, to, um, the farm salmon, essentially they're eating their own urine and feces, so unhealthy. The saturated fat in some of these newer fish like uh, tilapia and things, it's actually more unhealthy to eat fish. So all the benefits, which is essentially just omega-3, and that can be found in algae oil. You can find it in spirulina. That the last thing you want to do is eat fish because it's getting linked to so many, so many uh, diseases out there. So, and then, and then sustainable ability is you know watch watch the film and you can address that in there so from any one of these things that you mentioned it's both health and environment there's just no reason whatsoever to be consuming these these uh products and ethics of course Absolutely. We have a wonderful guy that teaches for Main Street Vegan Academy. His name is Michael Parrish Dudell, and he's a young business guy who's just written the Shark Tank Jump Start Your Business book for the Shark Tank show. So he's really into all that. But when he talks about how to make a convert. <laughs> he looks at it as kind of how to make the sale. And he said, when you tell your own story about what caused you to change, you look at that person and see when they're nodding, when they're with you, and when they're just sort of not paying attention. And whether it's the environment, the animals, the health, when you get them engaged, that's where you follow. So I've tried to remember that. It's <laughs> a good one. Now, This is kind of a sad question. I hope it's not a sad answer because we're, we're on Unity Online Radio here where we're all about positive thinking and knowing that the good is going to come through. But I was watching the newsroom and somebody on there was quoting something implying that we're just done with this whole climate change thing. I mean, That train has left the station. There's not a thing we can do about it. All those horrors that we've been trying to avoid are inevitable. Is is that your belief, or can we still get out there and turn this around? Uh, Well, there's a couple things on that, because we get asked that question a lot. Even if someone, say someone gave someone a, a death sentence and... Um, you know, they say they only have a few months to live. Does that mean you're going to be living still ignorantly and uncompassionately and, and basically destroying the planet and everyone around it, including yourself? Or is that the time you really say, wow, this is the time I want to make the transformation, even if I only have one more week left? Uh, I want to live this way. And, but overall, I am extremely optimistic where I believe the tipping point already did happen. I believe it happened specifically in 2012. With this, this whole new transformation of going from a patriarchal to matriarchal um, evolution ex- existence that kind of uh, goes in cyclical times, I believe around every 12,000 years. And the light bulb is just turned on for so many people that everywhere you look with social media and the Internet of the information passing so fast, that it's already happened. Um, you know, you see it. We've been traveling around the country and around the world. And Keegan and I both have traveled a lot over the past five to ten years. And just this trip over the past, this one since only two years ago, it is unbelievable the amount of restaurants I see and the, just the, um, and then the comments and just the, the, the talk and conversation that goes all around everywhere you are. And I believe the transformation is already happening. And it's not too late, and that uh, it's the most exciting time we've lived in since, you know, since hundreds, if not thousands of years, where the light has finally turned on and we've made the switch. So I'm really optimistic for it. Oh, I love that. And you guys are the are part of the light turner honors, a really, really big part of that. So what can we do for you? What can I do? What can our listeners do to get Cowspiracy out there even more and help support your wonderful work in the world? 
You know, I mean, as you said at the beginning, is you know, people can go to our website. They can download the film there. They can uh, you know, order the DVDs. The film is, makes an amazing gift. You know, so many of our supporters have written us and said this is the the perfect tool to give to friends and loved ones who they want to share this information with because it's ninety minutes. It's entertaining. It's funny. Uh, it's you know, it's a educational. It has so much education in it, but. Overall, it's a very entertaining, enjoyable film to watch. Um, so, you know, we're really encouraging people to buy the film, share it with others, sign up for our newsletter. Um, and then, you know, if people want to take action from there, that's really up to them. The film is not preaching. It's very much just provides information, allow people to make informed decisions. I mean, we can't make informed decisions unless we have the information, of course. Um, and then, you know, if people are members of these organizations, such as Greenpeace and Sierra Club, write them. Use your membership as as a voice and say, you know, I demand that you talk about this issue because it's the leading cause. Uh, and, you know, if we get these organizations to come around, that is something that will really change the story and really change the game on what we're facing in the world. Excellent. Final word. Final word is thank you so much for all the support and everyone out there. Um, it's been a, it's been a great ride and it's so fun that it's just begun. So, uh, just have everyone pat themselves on the back that we're on the not only the right side but the light side, and um, it's now for everyone else to rather than being the weird ones, now we're the ones who have made the transformation, and everyone's catching up to us. So uh, enjoy the ride. That's so exciting. Thank you so much. Thanks for the wonderful film, Cowspiracy. Check it out at Cowspiracy.com. See the movie. It's really, really good. And thank you both for taking the time to be with us today. Now, next week, listeners, is the final Main Street Vegan show of this year. We're going to take a little holiday break. So be sure and be with us. We're going to have Rip Esselstyn, the good-looking former firefighter of the Engine 2 Diet, and his sister Jane Esselstyn, co-author of Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease Cookbook. Yay, see, you really do get enough omega-3s to have a good brain when you are an algae-eating vegan. Thanks, everybody, for listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Many people believe that happiness is an addition problem. If we can add what we want to our life, then we will be happy. In reality, happiness is a subtraction problem. It is learning to subtract all that has kept us from being happy. What thought, fear, or belief is keeping you from being happy? Let it go from your mind and watch how much happier you become. Let go of the past. Release regret and resentment, and you'll be free to move forward and create the life you deserve. This moment of inspiration was brought to you by Reverends Richard Mirage and Richard Rogers, hosts of Spiritual R&R. For more spiritual insight, join them every Monday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio. Inspiration only takes a moment. Your friends at Unity invite you to reflect on these words from Reverend Jim Rosemurgy. Pause and take a deep breath. When you are ready, affirm silently to yourself. Sweet, sweet spirit, I desire a closer walk with you. Show me the way. I am listening. Take time now in the silence to get in touch with the spiritual guidance within you. Have faith that your next step, your unfolding, your spiritual growth, 
is coming to you in divine order through your spiritual instinct or your spiritual knowingness. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. spirituality into your own hands bucking corporate religion in favor of finding your own path do you cross the boundary between religion and science or between religions themselves do you like a dose of humor with your truth seeking if you answered yes you're what we call a holy rascal join rabbi rami shapiro for how to be a holy rascal wednesdays at 11 a.m central Rami and his guests will engage in lively, humorous discussions about what it means to be a spiritual human being in the 21st century. How to Be a Holy Rascal, Wednesdays at 11 a.m., only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw. And on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts. 